many individuals and organizations see learning as an important part of how we move forward, right? Uh, that if we're going to see changes um, in society around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and right now very specifically around racial justice, there's um, not just learning to do, I would, I would actually preface that by saying there's a lot of unlearning to do. And as we know, <laughs> as learning um, professionals or people in the learning field, unlearning is a lot harder than learning. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 253 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which features a conversation with Shilpa Alam Chandani. This is the third episode in a seven-part series on the learning business in disruptive times. Shilpa Alam Chandani is a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. She has more than 20 years of experience in DEI, leadership development, and intercultural learning. She has facilitated trainings in nearly 20 countries around the world and has received numerous awards, including twice the Peace Corps' Distinguished Service Award. Salisa spoke with Shilpa in September 2020. I love my work, and it's, it's very uh, personal to me as well. So tell us a little bit more about that work that you do. Yeah, you know, I've always, um, throughout my career, whether it was in higher education or nonprofit or um, government service or in the private sector, where I'm doing most of my consulting now, really focused on helping people to um, build bridges, to be their authentic selves and all of our complexity as humans. And... Um, I've been on my own as a consultant for the past year. And when I say the work uh, is personal, what I mean to say is that, you know, each of us brings so much of ourselves to our professional world, right? You know, it's not just, you know, the degrees that we have or the skills that we have. It's all of our background, our history, our identities, and that's a beautiful thing. It can also be a source of misunderstanding, conflict. Um, and so I think it's really important um, to uh, facilitate conversations and learning so that people can really be their authentic selves. Well, I love that, that idea of getting to bring your, your whole self and be there authentically, because I think that whole notion of, you know, the work-life balance or anything that sort of puts these <laughs> arbitrary dividers between, you know, our work life and our personal life is, is, it feels very, um, untrue, right? It doesn't yeah. really play out. So you and I are talking as part of a podcast series that we're doing on the learning business in disruptive times. And so when you think about what you're living through, what you're working through now, what comes to mind? What are the kinds of disruption that you're experiencing? Yeah, the, the list is almost endless, isn't it, um, during this time? What I can say, you know, the most uh, obvious one as someone who does a lot of um, facilitation and, and training around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion is that a lot of that work had traditionally been done in person, and now it's all virtual. So um, that is a big shift and um, change. And at the same time, I have been really um, heartened 
to see just how much and how deep the learning can be using virtual tools and, and platforms. And so I have not felt that, um, oh, we're somehow uh, behind or we're, we're not able to do the kind of work we want to do in the learning space. Um, I think we're just having to be more creative in that process. So I hear you speaking to one aspect of, of the pandemic, the need to shift from that live in-person training to making use of these virtual tools and needing to learn around that. Um, what other types of disruption are you, are you dealing with? And I'm thinking again of, you know, the fact that you're emphasizing, you know, DEI things mm-hmm. that, um, that there's just been a lot happening, um, in the United States in particular, um, recently. Is, is that, part of what's going on in your work and your personal life? Most definitely. The growing movement in the U.S. and in fact around the world for racial justice has very much impacted what I do, um, the organizations uh, with whom I partner, and the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion in general Right. What I what I see is one of the shifts happening is that a lot of um, training that was happening in the DEI space tended to focus a lot on what individuals can do to change their own behavior and attitudes to be more inclusive, uh, to be more fair. Um, It had to do with what organizations could do to attract talent from different backgrounds. Um, And now what I'm really happy to see is a shift from that individual focus to one that really is looking at systems. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the systems in which we are operating? And there's you know, very much an educational and learning component to this because there are a lot of folks who really are not paying attention to broader systems like patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, ableism. I mean, you name it, you know, um, there are all of these systems at play and we are operating within those systems, right? So if we actually want anything to change in our lives, in our organizations, in our communities, in our country, um, then we've got to be able to see those things. And uh, that, that disruption is so welcome. It's so necessary for things to actually change. Given the types of disruption that we've been talking about with the pandemic, with the kind of increased calls for racial justice, uh, what are you seeing as the impact on learning and learning businesses, um, and how are you responding? Well, I certainly think that um, many individuals and organizations see learning as an important part of how we move forward, right? Uh, That if we're going to see changes um, in society around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and right now very specifically around racial justice, there's um, not just learning to do. I would I would actually preface that by saying there's a lot of unlearning to do. Mm. And as we know, <laughs> as learning um, professionals or people in the learning field, um, unlearning is a lot harder mm. than learning, right? There's... Um, there are so many things that we have been taught and there's so many systems, as we were talking about before, 
of which we have not really been aware or not paying much attention to, um, that actually need to be unlearned to make space for new ways of doing and new ways of being with one another that are more fair, that are more just, um, that do allow everyone to thrive, you know, as their authentic selves. Um, but there's a lot that gets in the way of that, right? You know, if, if we know that, um, we have been taught things even from school and, and our history that have, um, left out really important um, parts of how we have come to be, be the way that we are and people have access to what they do or don't, you know, um, those omissions. And then even I would argue some, some lies that, that, that we have um, grown to, to believe over time need to be unlearned in order for us to really see transformative change. So what are the threats of these current disruptive times? And I'm thinking in particular of um, organizations in the learning business. Uh, you know, what are the things that worry you the most about what we're experiencing now as disruption? One of the worries I have, um, you know, I've talked to some organizations who say, oh, well, you know, because they believe that so much of this work does need to be done in person, there's like a uh, let's put it off. Let's do it later. You know, and when we can all be in the same room together and have face-to-face dialogue and discussion and those opportunities, that worries me because um, timing really is everything. And so we really need to pay attention to um, the current state of affairs, what learners need, how to meet their needs, um, rather than putting it off, right? So I, I worry about delaying. Um, because of the virtual nature of the work and the pandemic. I also worry about um, the desire for quick fixes. So there's a great sense of urgency that many people are experiencing around, wow, maybe we haven't talked about this before or a diversity training that we have, you know, conducted in the past, um, you know, covered a whole host of issues, but didn't really zero in on race, right? Or didn't really go deep on this issue. So we better start doing that now. Um, but then the assumption that like, and so then we can just do that, right? Like have that conversation. We'll do, we'll do a, you know, a community conversation, a town hall, a workshop, we'll do something on unconscious bias. And then that will, you know, <laughs> solve the problem. And that worries me because um, that that's not how this work um, is done, or at least not done effectively. And it is a long-term investment to see the change that we want to see. Yeah, the idea of a town hall or a, you know a conversation or a workshop. It uh, I know someone who talks about sort of um, arbitrary al- alternatives, right? It's like you, you lose sight of the overarching goal, which is to really address this issue of um, systemic racism and somehow it gets boiled down to let's have a workshop, (laughs) (laughs) which does not necessarily at all address the overarching goal. And so making sure that that doesn't get lost. Yeah, that's definitely important. So sort of the converse of what I just asked you, what's going on these days that most excites you? Where are you finding hope or energy or enthusiasm despite the disruption? I am finding hope um, 
specifically around issues of racial justice that um, more and more white people are seeing the importance of addressing these issues. So um, I'm, you know, I'm a person of color, not a black person. So I don't uh, experience the kind of racism that really um, the Black Lives Matter um, movement has centered. And at the same time, it w- many people ask, like, none of this is new. What's different now? Why, why so much emphasis now? There are a lot of things that are different, but one of the big things that is different is that white people are using their power um, to shine light on injustices that have existed for hundreds of years. And... Um, there's a worry that that attention will, you know, kind of dwindle away. My hope is that it won't. <laughs> and um, so that gives me hope. Uh, another thing that gives me hope in these really uncertain and disruptive times is, you know, the, the, the technology, the tools that are available to us as um, learning professionals to really creatively engage people. Um, you know, I know we're all on, on some video conferencing, (laughs) um, uh, system or platform, you know, for much of our days. And there are so many other things that you can add to that. Like, you know, we used to do, uh, post-its on the wall and, you know, now there are apps that can help you to recreate that kind of an experience virtually. Um, there are so many ways that even the facilitation of, of breakouts and all of that has just gotten easier. It's been around for a while, but now, you know, even as a sole practitioner myself, like I can do this, you know, and I can manage that. And it, it gives me hope because there's still opportunities to connect, learn, grow, despite our physical distance from one another. So we need not, like I said before, put it off <laughs> until another time. Let, let's use what's available to us now. What is DEI? And maybe talk a little bit about how it fits with implicit bias. Sure. So, um, DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity is simply all of the various identities that make us who we are. And so you can have a long list of those things. The first that usually come to mind are around race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, age, religion, socioeconomic status, um, ability, disability, etc. So diversity just is, right? Equity has to do with fairness, right? And so um, it's it's very purposeful that in this work, we don't necessarily use the word equality because equality means sameness, right? Treating everyone the same. Equity has to do with fairness, which may mean differences in people's experiences, what they need, what they have access to, and how we treat them. So those that Equity piece is quite critical, right? Because it is about fairness. And inclusion has to do with the environment that we create, right? So inclusion has to do with, um, okay, we've brought this diverse group of people um, together to work together, for example. Are all of the voices really being heard? You know, does everyone have a seat at the table? And 
inclusion has to do with those kinds of issues, right? Creating an environment where people's contributions truly are not just welcomed, but valued um, and in the decision-making processes. So all three of those things are really important. It's why, you know, um, there's sometimes an alphabet soup when it comes to talking about um, these issues, you know, because it started with diversity and then it was diversity and inclusion. And now you see equity in there. And sometimes you even see justice um, being paired with um, these other terms. But each of those additions to the lexicon around um, these issues is purposeful. And so DEI, you really need all of those components um, together to really see um, change inside of um, organizations and educational institutions. And so I know that implicit bias is an area of, of, of interest and work for you as well. And mm-hmm. how does that fit in with DEI? Sure. So um, what I would say is that bias gets in the way of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Bias is a function of the human brain. We do need to be able to discern narrow down gobs of information to really focus and um, be able to make choices. But those choices are influenced by um, the, um, the programming, the cultural programming, right, that we've um, grown up with. And so that programming is riddled with bias with stereotypes with things that are just simply not true about entire groups of people and so like it or not we um, act on those biases and to understand that they are within us as human beings no matter what background we come from um, is just the first step in then being able to disrupt bias right in our thinking and in our decision making that is then what makes way for things to be more equitable and inclusive. If we're not looking at, at bias, then um, despite our best intentions, we'll default to what's comfortable and what we're used to, which, which is bias and which is, you know, again, grounded in our cultural programming. So we've got to bring that to light and actually address it. We can't erase it. So that's the other thing I would add. Uh, it, we can't erase the cultural programming and we can't erase the bias. It will be there. We can notice it. We can interrupt it. We can make different choices. You know, we can, in that pause between the thought and the action, choose a different way. And we can look for how bias lives in our systems, right? So bias is something that could influence how I interact with you. um, But it also is something that lives in how promotion decisions are made inside of an organization and what are some ways, for example, that we could make those systems more fair uh, so that um, bias is not what drives the decision making. What lasting changes do you think will come of these current disruptive times? And are those changes good, bad, or something else? I think there are a lot of opportunities um, for lasting change. It's hard to predict which ones will stick. Um, Certainly the, the flexibility of working from anywhere will have a lasting impact. I mean, I just can't see how it wouldn't. 
um, given how long we have been away from what was a, a typical work experience, you know, inside of offices and things like that. So I think that will certainly have a lasting impact. I hope that having more human-centered policies and practices for organizations will also be a lasting impact. The recognition that um, people are balancing, juggling (laughs) many, many different responsibilities simultaneously that's not new necessarily because of the pandemic. It's, it's certainly amplified and that at least I have experienced there's so much grace that most people have in, Oh, you know, I, I was on a call with a client last week with the CEO of a company and my child came in and disrupted, you know, interrupted that call. And it was fine. Like it was like not an issue at all. So I, I hope that those kinds of things will also, um, have a lasting impact on, on how, um, we move forward even, you know, after the pandemic. I think grace is a great word for it. And I've definitely felt it and experienced it myself. These things that might have felt unprofessional before now just, it's just how life is. Right. And so, yeah, the, the dog barking, the child walking in, whatever, it's all sort of par for the course now. What words would you have for those in the learning business about how to do right and and thrive in this moment? They could be words of advice or caution or, or courage. You know, I think that there's an opportunity now to really um, reflect on um, our own power, privilege, access to resources, um, et cetera, on a personal level, but also um, on an organizational level and a community level, right? So if we are now paying attention to these issues and really are more aware of where the, where the um, gaps are, where the injustices live in our society, there's an opportunity in the learning business to apply that learning to what we do, right? Like what, what do learners need, right? How do we meet those needs? How can we be more creative in the way that we address those needs? And what are some, what's some unlearning that we need to do in order to make space for new ways of being within the learning business? I think this is an opportunity if we're talking about systems and we're talking about um, the way things have always been, doesn't really need to be the way things are going to be moving forward, then where are the places for that kind of change within our own businesses and within this field of learning? Yes, it definitely seems like a time uh, ripe for reflection (laughs) and then hopefully action based on, on that reflection. What is it like to be, to be a DEI consultant at this moment in time? I would say it is overwhelming 
in that there's a lot of demand for this work. Um, and there's also a lot of reason to be hopeful that things can change um, because of the attention being paid um, to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and specifically to issues of racial justice. At the same time, um, it's challenging. Um, I myself have um, turned away clients, turned away projects, because uh, to me, the requests felt um, superficial or not, you know, it didn't really meet my, my standards around integrity to really make change. Um, and so those are tough conversations and it's not even, and I know it may sound a bit judgmental now that I think about how I phrase that, but it's really more about how do I want to spend my time and my energy, right? Like we've talked about, these are disruptive times. I have two children, right? I have parents, I have a partner. We're part of, there's so much more to our lives than our work. So I have this amount of time and energy that I want to spend. I want it to be meaningful, right? And if it's a one-off workshop that I don't think is really going to make any difference, I'm just saying no to that kind of stuff, right? Um, if there's an opportunity to engage in long-term change and um, really build a partnership and deepen learning, you know, um, not just that, that's my caution around implicit bias learning is that that's just the beginning. It's important. It's necessary. And it shouldn't stop there. Right. So if there's an opportunity to deepen the learning then um, I'm all there and it's a good time to be a DEI professional. Um, yeah. So what steps and actions do you recommend for learning businesses who are looking to meaningfully support DEI? What should they do? I think, first of all, look inward, right? Who are the individuals that you partner with? Who are the people doing the training and the teaching? And what are their backgrounds? And who is missing, right? Who, um, whose voices are not an active part of, of the people you engage with as educators, um, as, as learning professionals. So that's number one. Um, I think number two, looking inside of your own organization, right? So there may be issues of, um, equity and inclusion, within your own teams, within your own organizations. And there's an opportunity to really highlight those issues, make changes within your organizations. Um, and I think that is directly tied to how well you serve, you know, the communities and the learners and the other businesses that you work with, the institutions that you work with. Because when you are actually helping people inside of your organization bring their best selves to work and not have to cover who they are and um, really have an opportunity to bring diverse perspectives together, that's going to benefit everyone that you work with and you partner with outside of your organization. Um, it's an investment. It's not easy. Um, you know, the research tells us that diverse teams 
without a real focus on inclusive leadership and and culture change actually don't do that well (laughs) compared to homogenous teams, but diverse teams that actually have the supports in place to really make sure people's value uh, contributions are valued and that they um, can bring their authentic selves to work with the kind of leadership that they need. They're more innovative. They're more creative. They're more in touch with what's going on outside of the organization. And um, it actually becomes an advantage for organizations who do that. Uh, It's an investment though. So yeah, it's both, you know, who are you partnering with? Like who are the learning professionals you're engaged with? And also are you looking internally to see how you could be more equitable and inclusive in your own culture? Shilpa Alamachandani is an instructional designer, a learning facilitator, and a coach. Drawing on her deep knowledge of learning modalities, intercultural leadership development, and human-centered design, Shilpa works with her clients to address diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organizations to make a lasting change. She is the author of the book, Communicating Development Across Cultures, Monologues and Dialogues in Development Project Implementation. Find Shilpa and connect with her on LinkedIn. You can find a link to Shilpa on LinkedIn in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 253, along with the transcript and a variety of resources related to my conversation with Shilpa. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 253, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss the remaining episodes in this series, we encourage you to subscribe. And subscribing also helps us to get some data on the impact of the podcast. We'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Jeff and I personally appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business in disruptive times. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 253, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.